Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women-identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women building businesses, supported by true, tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada. From funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies, on this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Tia and Tashana. Good morning, Kayla. How are you doing? Good morning. Thank you for having us. Thanks for joining. Um, it's so great to see you now virtually, Tia, after our Halifax Startup uh, Canada tour stop. And then Tashana, fantastic to meet you and be able to connect uh, with the East Coast today. So we're going to be covering quite a bit of, of conversations. Tia, we got a bit of a glimpse as um, you moderated one of our incredible panels around funding at our Startup Canada Tour Halifax stop. Um, and I love your candid um, approach to things. All of the suggestions that you provided, I could not echo anymore. So I'm really excited to bring this voice to the podcast and share it. Well, with thank you. So let's kick things off uh, with you, Tia. You are a serial entrepreneur and now the founder and CEO of Black Women in Excellence, also known as BWIE. Can you take us through your journey and experience being an entrepreneur? Bring us from the very beginning to now. Walk us through that chapter. I don't think we have all the time uh, to go from the beginning to now. <laughs> um, so I'll just, you know, start off from in, in 2013, you know, I started a cleaning company um, and I started that cleaning company with nothing but dollar store supplies, literally, and had no clientele, had no idea about a business plan, market niche projections you know, MVPs, KPIs, they didn't know any of that acronyms. I just knew that I had to, um, you know, take care of my kids and feed, and feed them and pay my bills because I had three kids. And at the time, my youngest was five years old. So they weren't older. I mean, they're older now. Um, so I have responsibilities. I was a single mom and just currently went through a breakup after 20 years. And, you know, the only way I could really see through all the weeds was, you know, starting something for myself where I was able to um, not really worry about childcare because I could do it on my time and around my children, their schedules and school and daycare and all that. Um, so I started this, you know, little business, little cleaning company in uh, 2013. And then in 2015, I started an Airbnb short term rental uh, business 2019. Um, I started a vegan lipstick line that was curated for women of color. And then in 2020, I had this crazy idea after attending um, a street, it was like a street event. It's called Taken Black Audigen. And it was in the heat of the pandemic because a lot of businesses, a lot of um, people were losing their jobs. They couldn't keep their jobs because schools were closing um, too many restrictions off and on, off and on. So people were just laid off and they started doing this event to showcase black businesses. Well, Kayla, when I went to this event, I was excited anyways to go because I want to see people. I want the good foods. So I go to it with a friend of mine and I'm walking up and down Gottagen street here in Halifax. And I'm like, the majority of these businesses are black women. And I know these women and I didn't know they had these businesses or 
these quote unquote side hustles. And I took all their business cards, brochures, and, you know, come home and I sat on it for a few days. And I reached out to all of them and I asked them, like, are you looking for this to be a, you know, sustainable business? Are you looking to solidify it or are you just going to keep it as, well, you know, I lost my job because of the pandemic, so I'm doing this to get through. And they didn't really answer my question, but what they were saying was that, well, how could I have a business? No one's going to take me serious. I have no idea about business concepts. I can't get no funding. I have bad credit or I'm, I'm from low income. Who's going to take me serious, right? Low income communities. And I took that information and I went to my fiance and I said, and mind you, it's after I already have three businesses, right? And three kids. So I was like, babe, I want to do something, you know, for black women. And he was like, as long as it's not another business, Tia, um, I will support you in, you know, creating your little thing. And I said, great. And honestly, from the beginning, it was meant to be a, a group of Black women collectively getting together on a biweekly basis, going to lunch, coffee or supper, and just becoming a group of women who are empowering each other. Um, and that was in September. So by November 20th, we were registered as a non-for-profit organization with uh, Registry of Joint Stocks. And from that, we're now three years later, and it is bigger than what I thought it was going to be. It went from being a, a collective group of Black women, local Black women, to support each other, to becoming a movement. Um, in March, March, April-ish of 2023, um, I decided to do a, another chapter in Kelowna, B.C., so that we can bridge the gap between here, East Coast and West Coast, because there are a lot of Black women that I serve um, online, especially the Zoom platform, all through Canada. It's not just in Nova Scotia. It's not just in BC. We have people from Toronto, uh, Montreal, Vancouver, um, Ottawa, like they're all over Canada. And, you know, uh, they reach out to me and I serve them to the best of my abilities. With the organization itself, there's definitely been a need, Kayla, and me as a serial entrepreneur seen that. And I know what I went through when I first started my first business. And, <clears throat> you know, there was organizations that supported, you know, Black individuals and organizations that supported women. But there was no organization, and I'm going to note, there still is no organization besides Black Women in Excellence that is dedicated with a mandate for Black women in business. Um, so that's basically why I created it. And that's a little bit of background on, you know, not only why I created it, but how I created it and what it stemmed from. Mm, amazing. Thanks for sharing that, sharing that Tia. And and why Kelowna? Well, out of all the, the locations in BC, what, what is special about Kelowna? Uh, basically, I was mentoring. So I'm a mentor with Rise, Rise Helps, uh, Scotiabank Mentorship Initiative, The Forum, um, and other organizations. But uh, there was a lady I was working with through uh, the Forum's Mentorship Initiative as her mentor for months. Like, I'm going to say about eight to ten months. And, you know, working with her, she lives in Kelowna. And working with her, she reminded me a lot of myself when I first started my business. And she was facing the same things I was facing with res respect to discrimination and racism, um, gender biases. Um, it was a really messy place for her at the time when she was trying to get her business off the ground. And she kept at it. She kept pushing forward and she started making some momentum. And through that, I watched her growth 
And I just literally woke up, woke up one day, Kayla, I, I kid you not. Um, and I said, we need to have a chapter of BWIE in Kelowna. And I reached out to her and I said, this is what I'm looking to do. How do you feel about being the president um, of the organization to get it up and running? And this summer, I spent a lot of time out West um, developing a board, trying to get, you know, policies and governance and making traction um, in Kelowna, BC, because, you know, when after meeting her, I knew it was a need. But when I went there, um, there is a huge need, you know, that they, they have a lot going on with regards to Indigenous and with regards to the LGBTQ plus uh, community. There's a lot of services and, and resources and education but literally there's nothing for black businesses. Literally in Kelowna, BC, there is absolutely nothing. And you'll see maybe one or two um, black individuals at networking events that are ran by, you know, uh, white organizations. And the first thing I, I see when I see that, I'm like, is this intentional or is this a token? Like, do we have this person in these pictures as a token? Um, because it's always usually the same couple of people. When they when they post things on social media, um, so for me it was it was a need it was a need and I had to push the envelope. That's what I'm doing. I love that Tia, and 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 it's important to reflect. Yes, there's been you know we have an entire black entrepreneurship strategy. We have investment going in you know supporting these various organizations. We still have a very very long way to go to make sure that this is actually anchored across the entire country. Um, and uh, that's a beautiful just to see you continue to evolve and expand and. Um, support founders that really need this anchoring and and within this intersectionality of their identity Absolutely. having space for black folks and and for women. That's incredible that's key word intersectionality. And when people start understanding that that concept and that wording, and the testimony that goes towards how that lays out for us in the black community as women, as black women who identify you know, as the LGBTQ plus community, there's so many layers to us. We're not just women. We're not just black women. Um, when people start understanding that, then they'll see that there is a huge need and organizations who have the power um, to do better, they should do better and do more for us because we're out here and all we're asking for is to be able to not only be celebrated and seen, but to have mentors to look like us, to have access to capital without going through hoops and the list goes on, Kayla. Oh, we will be talking yeah. about that list <laughs> throughout today's episode. Tashana, tell us about your new business. We would love to hear what sort of inspired you and where you're at today with your company. Hi, thank you. So, um, so the name of my business is College. Well, I have two. One is a brand and one is more of a business. Um, it started off with the brand back in 2020 in the pandemic um, with COVID and everything being at home in quarantine. That's when I started my first year of university. And to give you a better context of why I started College Life Academy, which is that TikTok platform you stated earlier, is because in high school, I was a very bad student. I was skipping all my classes, had very bad grades. Um, definitely an era that I don't want to revisit again. And entering into my first year of university, paying international student fees, as you know, is definitely five times higher than the domestic fees. I was like, I cannot be spending so many money every year and be skipping classes and not, you know, um, making that money worthwhile. And so I decided to just transform my study habits, my study routine, everything, did a whole complete 
360 of my academic life. And that's where my first year of university, I was able to um, get straight A's, have a 4.0 GPA. And I was like, okay, this is good. Um, especially for me, because I was very bad. It was very bad. There was like almost no hope for me. So this was definitely an achievement. And during quarantine, I was like, I want to share this with other people because I know that I have friends myself that suffer from the same thing that um, are finding challenges with studying and stuff. So I decided to um, create TikTok because I think that's the easiest way for me to reach people of my generation, the Gen Z generation. It's easiest way to communicate with people all over the world. So I decided to create um, TikTok. The rest is history from there. Um, I just know that I posted, I kept posting consistently and just over three days, I got a viral video that got 2.3 million views. And then from there, everything is history. Yeah, I got major brand deals came from that. I'm starting to work with Best Buy Canada. I work with them currently. A few weeks ago, I work with Microsoft and that's based in the US. So a lot of opportunities has sparked just by me randomly creating a TikTok and sharing my experience with students. And then that led me to create my um, online stationery store just August of this year, which is called College Creative Curations. So what it does is it targets those pain points of students by creating purposeful stationaries that attack those problems. So one of the um, products that I just launched in August is called our Procasto Pads, which is just a notepad that helps you practice productive procrastination in a way. Um, so that's what I created back then. Amazing. And so Tashana, how did you get connected with Tia and being you know, part of BWIE? What, what's your role now with the organization and how did you find your way over there? Well, one thing with Tia, Tia is going to make her presence known, which is a very good thing that I loved about Tia. <laughs> when she walks in a room, just her presence, her energy, you're going to know that she's in the room. You're going to know that she's here. Oh, um, so, <laughs> right. So um, Tia is a professional resident at the um, Arthur L. Irving Entrepreneurship Center um, at St. Mary's University. And being a student there, I also worked there as well as a project assistant. Um, so I would also help with like some of the events that they were planning and we would also talk about, you know, who we wanted to invite to speak as panelists or just to talk about um, entrepreneur resilience and mindset. So I was like, um, so I, we, we knew about, her, well, I knew about her through the professional residence program and having her come at these events. And it was through that I was able to talk to her, get to know her business. And one thing with Tia, she's going to talk about BWIE everywhere she goes. And it was definitely very um, admiring how she always advocated for Black women in entrepreneurship. And even though she didn't know me from anywhere, um, we spoke as if we've known each other for like maybe years or months. Oh, you know, so that's that's one thing that really drawed me to her. Um, and then I really wanted I as I said, I really admired her drive, her dedication and and her advocacy. And I started to like research like how is it that I can, you know, be a part of BWIE more than just a black female entrepreneur because I feel like T I can learn a lot from Tia. And that's where I started to do some research about any opportunities that she has within the society. And here I am today as a project specialist. <laughs> Amazing. 
amazing. We love it. And this is just going to turn into a Tia fan club over Thank here. You. This is amazing. We could just end the podcast here. Well, I would say I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, Tashana, Shanika, and Keisha. Um, we are a team now um, at BWIE, and it's the first time since we started this organization I was able to have other individuals support me and build themselves as Black women and get paid to doing it and building the organization. So, you know, we're a powerhouse. We're a powerhouse and I'm a fan of them. So I'm excited. Amazing. So shifting gears a little bit to see the rest of Canada and the other areas that, uh, you know, definitely are needing the support of the community and the resources that you're building. Um, On this podcast, we every episode come to a conversation around the lack of funding for women entrepreneurs specifically and the landscape in the, you know, the entrepreneurial communities and um, you know, all of the very sobering statistics around the lack of funding that go to particular types of founders. For Black founders, this is exacerbated tenfold. Um, and we see this be such a significant challenge year over year, even as we see investments come in through things like the Black Entrepreneurship Strategy and new organizations come up. Uh, we still have a very, very long way to go. So Tia, for our listeners, can you bring us into the landscape of Black founders in Canada, really walking us through some of the barriers that are identified now at this moment in time um, that they're experiencing and what you're hearing from your community on the ground, kind of coming out of the pandemic, um, still with massive you know, global challenges and um, you know, hurdles in front of them. What are you hearing? What's the current landscape? Uh, what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing, it's all evenly um, is my perception of what's going on. And we'll start in 2019, 20, when the pandemic hit and the government was giving out money through CEBA, the CEBA fund. Um, the first around, what was it? 40,000 and then you had 20,000 was forgivable if you paid it back by December, 2023 and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there was a high amount of black businesses, not just women, but black businesses that did not qualify and they didn't qualify be, not to no fault of the government or to a fault of them. Um, it was the lack of education on the responsibilities of a business owner with regards to having a business bank account. Something as simple as that. You had to have a business bank account in order to qualify for this funding. And most black businesses, when they start, um, excuse me, because there's lack of trust with the the banks, there's lack of trust with the government, they're going to do their business through a personal account. They're not going to register. They're not going to have HST, GST number. It's just not going to happen. It's going to be under the table. And, you know, data will tell you it's, it's been going on historically for generations and generations. But when these businesses need the help, they couldn't get to SIBA. Quickly, SIBA did switch it. And they said, well, you have within the next 30 days to go get a business bank account. Um, but the other stipulations wouldn't move. Go get a business bank account and you can come back and apply. Well, they don't have a CRA business number. Um, how are they going to apply? And if they do get a CRA business number, you're taking the chances of being audited. You're, you're running to get a CRA business number. You don't know how to apply for So whatever they ask you on the phone, when did you start? You're going to say, I started in 2012. Guess what's going to happen? Red flag. 2012, and you're just now coming for this HST, GST number. Hmm, let's just put a red flag on this one, and we'll start looking at um, what money has been coming in and why she or he has been paying us HST, GST remittance, right? So there were so many layers to that. That's one of the problems. 
Another problem is still consistent is these financial institutions, the big banks. The big banks, they keep coming up with this, I call it segregated funding. It is segregated when you say there's money just for black businesses. So they come up with segregated money and they say they're doing it in a holistic way. And then you go through the application. And for me, I'm like, it's not holistic. You're still asking the same questions that you would have asked 15, 20 years ago. Now, we know when it comes to um, geographically, uh, certain areas of Black businesses and Black individuals, female or males, or identifying as either or, um, credit is an issue. Credit is an issue um, because if you want to go back, you know, I'll say 200 years ago, we were displaced in certain areas where we we weren't planned. They didn't want to see us survive anyways. We were supposed to die off. It's almost like the Indigenous people. Um, so you're setting us up for failure from 400 years ago, 200 years ago, and now today we're still dealing with the credit issues with paying, taking from Peter to pay Paul. So when you want a black business to come to you with a 685 or a higher credit score, it's not going to happen. So why do we keep, why do you keep coming up with this black funding or segregated money, um, when you're making it hard? <clears throat> and I feel that, you know, within the, uh, financial system, the culture within the system needs to be dismantled and rebuilt. The culture, it's its so embedded with biases, unconscious biases, racism, discrimination, that no matter how many, you know, fundings they put out there with segregated money to make them look good, the head of this culture that's going on there, um, they're not going to change how they feel, how they view, you know, Black women or Black people coming into the bank. Um, I was at a meeting yesterday and I'll say this briefly, and I was, I'm doing a radio show that was proposed to me. And the owner of the station was like, oh, maybe in the future we can have, you know, some Asian women on and, you know, other white women. I said, I'm going to stop you there because respectively, they have no problem with accessing many things when it's compared to black women. I said, um, you know, if you can pass as a certain, you know, color, they're going to have no problem. I said, there's Asian women that they would, the bank would rather give an Asian woman 500000 than give a black woman that looks like Tashana. I'm not even going to say me because I'm fair-skinned, but it looks like Tashana 10000 because she doesn't look, she doesn't fit what the mold they think is going to be repayable or going to be a successful business um, because there's already stigmas that they have laid on her. So there's little things like that. And then, he, and then we'll go further into the government. You know, they have this money that just came down the pipeline. November 20th, they announced it through the federal system announced November 20th, the third stream of the um, uh, SBBCI money, and it's for black organizations. Guess when, the, guess when the date of closing is, you have to apply by? December 15th. So you're giving black organizations, you know, literally three and a half weeks to do this. On top of it, if you've seen the application, you'd be floored. They're looking for financial documentation, audits, um, they're looking for so much information that a grassroots organization, which most black organizations in Canada are grassroots, they don't have core funding, they, they have a small board, small capacity. How are they going to be able to apply for this? And you want the quotes along with the application. If I'm, if I'm applying for um, uh, capital funding to fix a facility, November 20th, it came out, December 15th. Can anybody on this podcast who's listening, can you have a contractor come in right away and do, you know, a layout and give you a code? 
they're so backed up right now, um, especially during this time of year, you're not going to get anybody in to give you a quote. Without your quotes, you can't even apply, Kayla. Like these are the stupid little, it, it, it drives me nuts and I advocate so hard for it. And I'm always having this conversation, um, you know, with organizations, with financial institutions, with the government, I'm always having the conversation. Um, and then one last thing when it comes to funding, what we're seeing now, which is a trend, is that, you know, it's not black led organizations who are getting the funding. What's happening is white ran organizations are creating one project or one initiative for stream. Yep. For that funding. So they had no mandate to work with black, indigenous, people of color, or even the LGBTQ plus community. But because funding is so scarce, they're creating these bubbles just to apply for the funding. And guess who doesn't benefit from it? The black ran organizations. So that's what we're dealing with um, most currently. And I want to dive into that in a, in a little bit um, additional detail as well. I'm like, okay, what are the changes that we would actually need to see systemically? Not also putting this and the onus on black women founders. Like the conversation always tilts to, you know, so what do we do to change it at this individual level, et cetera? We're identifying massive structural changes that are needed. And some of them are just efficiencies that need to be respectful of the communities they're trying Absolutely. to serve, right? That's such an easy problem to solve uh, from, from my end. Tashana, in your uh, sort of evolution as a new business owner, is funding something that that you were initially worried about? Did you know where to try to access it? What was your journey and even trying trying to conceptualize what type of funding you might need for your business? Was that a daunting process for you? Um, yeah. So the, I there wasn't a lot of resources that I've seen where I could get funding, especially as an international student. Um, so that, yeah, that alone creates a barrier just because I'm not initially, um, I'm not a Nova Scotian woman or I'm not a Canadian woman. Um, so that's a barrier in itself. And also, well, um, I think the closest thing to funding that I would be able to, to, to get into probably would be pitch, pitching and pitch competitions. Um, however, I, I'm, I have never pitched before. And um, I wouldn't know how to pitch my business. Oh, she's going to pitch soon. She's going to pitch soon. Don't you but, worry. Yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> you're going to come to start uh, and you're going to pitch Right, BWI had their pitch competition back in September. And Tia had um, Jason Turner from the, from the Entrepreneurship Center to come and give a workshop with the Black women on how to pitch and then had the competition after that. So things like those resources are things that I'm looking for as a business owner myself, where I can learn how to um, pitch my business, learn these resources, and then be able to have the opportunity to get funding in my business, especially as an international female. That's a great point. And we often don't um, bring that up specifically. Like if you are not... Um, you know, a citizen of Canada, if you're in the process of getting your permanent residency, if there's anything that is, you know, added into that formula, it makes any type of funding, even setting up a potential bank account, if, you know, talking to investors, um, entering into actual incubation and acceleration programs, like there are a lot of additional hurdles when um, that is at play. And 
Um, we've, we've been talking to a lot of founders around the startup visa program, even huge barriers to entry in spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in bringing your business to the U or to, to Canada and, you know, potentially people just going straight to the U S because that's a much easier process to enter into. Right. Um, so the international perspective of mm-hmm. a really strong mandate to bring folks to Canada, we have to be supporting them and helping them build mm-hmm. these businesses that are great ideas you know, international folks are naturally very entrepreneurial. You're taking on a tremendous amount of risk and, you know, coming to Canada and and have the grit and tenacity. Like there's some powerhouse folks that we need to really support coming internationally. Well, Kayla, I just want to say this, and and Tashana may not be aware of it, you know, that's a barrier for Tashana. And then it's so funny when you flip the script, because Tashana obviously can't go on, you know, government assistance because she's not a Canadian citizen. But we have women here in Nova Scotia and Canada who are on government assistance, um, monthly assistance, who are winning pitch competitions and their caseworkers are scaling back their, their monthly allowance because they see it, it's a form of income. Like this is what's going on. It's that bad. So um, it, it, it's twofold on each side. And it's frustrating for me to work with individuals who are newcomers, who are students, and then ones who are, you know, here and been here, ancestry for 400 years, I'm like, which fight do I fight? It, it, it is, it's, every time I turn around, there's, an, there's another barrier that's added to these women. And so looking at, now, and we will come to this, some recommendations. We, do, we, we recognize this is a really hard space to be in. Um, and, and anchoring in the reality is very important in this conversation. Uh, we will talk about additional resources in a little bit as well, but Tia, From your standpoint, do you think that the problem is lack of actual money that is out there? Is it access? Like what on the money side, I see so much opportunity to just be setting in mandates and targets and intentions in the existing funding that's deployed. If we are measuring where that money is going, we at least have that data and that accountability for the folks that are deploying it, that it needs to be diversified, not to the same people over and over. What do you think is the issue on the funding landscape for specifically Black women that are looking to either raise or access that capital? Um, is there one either bias or structural um, you know, element? What's the biggest issue in the funding landscape, you think? I don't know. There's, there's not one biggest issue. Um, everything you said just seconds ago, we're dealing with the same people um, receiving the money over and over and over again. And then the same individuals are not being transparent because when you're getting federal money, federal money, you can't keep confidential. So yeah. where's the transparency from these organizations of who's getting this money? Who did you give it to? Why do you have, why are you having surpluses every year? you got the surplus. Why are we holding money? Um, the transparency, the accountability, and then I'm going to put the onus on the federal government because they should be holding them accountable and asking more questions. And, you know, one thing um, I even said this to someone at ACOA, Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, two, two things to this. Number one, for me, I have businesses so I can kind of accommodate this. But as a grassroots organization, if I don't have 20% to put to get money from you, then I don't get money from a COA. Mm. And if I don't have, because they hold back 10% or 20% at the end. So if I don't have that little bubble of cushion and I spend oh, $20,000 and I'm still owed another 20, I won't get that 20. I got to pay out of my pocket until the final report. And then it takes literally four weeks 
How many organizations can foot that bill like that? That's number one. Number two, if there is mandates that are proposed and pushed of partnerships, it will change everything. So if you're going to give, let's say, you know, um, Candace Startup uh, $350,000 to run a Black initiative with regards to programming and pitches, what their mandate has should be through the federal funding system is that they have to partner with one Black-ran grassroots organization outside of their province. Mm. Another one should be, you know, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> not just get MOUs to get the money, but actually pay them um, and stop, you know, taking in money for for just, you know, Canada Startup. We have an organization here that did something similar to this, where they've never worked with Black women in, in 30 years in an organization, and they applied for money from wage and received, I think it was $2.5 million um, to run that program. And instead of them, you know, saying let's partner with BWIE because this is what they do, that's their mandate, they decided to do their own little thing and try to create it. And they got this $2.5 million when they don't need the money because we're, we still don't have core funding. BWIE still doesn't have core funding. We have project funding every time we apply. And that's a nuisance in itself. So I think, like, recommendations should be there. There needs to be some accountability, transparency. Um, the, the funding streams, uh, there needs to be some mandates because when you partner with individuals, you collaborate, not just on an MOU on paper, when you actually do it and bring them in on the project, the impact's going to be stronger and wider. Um, you're going to be able to measure it more easier and the outcomes are going to be twofold from the partnered organization and from you. So you're able to get more money when you reapply for the second stream. But no one's no one's listening. And from the the organizations that are getting funding for uh, programming specifically for Black entrepreneurs, what is the sentiment in collaboration there? Are you seeing more None. independent programs popping up? Is yep, there naturally yep. just a cohesion and and like a community wrapping around all of these other entities? Like, what did those programs look like now versus what they may have looked like a couple of years ago? Uh, okay. Well, I can't say a couple of years ago because a couple of years ago, you know, there was money out there everywhere. It's because, you know, a couple of years ago, Black Lives Matter. George, George Floyd was murdered in front of us, in front of the whole world. So a few years ago, Black Lives Matter movement was popping. It's not popping anymore because it's not a buzzword for government. Government's not in that, you know, Black Lives Matter, Indigenous Lives Matter right now. That's not their, their movement with the money. But I will say when it comes to the ecosystem of entrepreneurship in the black community and organizations, um, the lack of partnerships in the East Coast is nil. Like there's mm. literally the partnership is we're not building our ecosystem out of the East Coast. We're not doing it um, as black organizations. And we have a responsibility to do better for our community. It's not about the CEOs. It's not about the organization itself. It is the impact we're having on our communities and we should be doing better. And we're not. And I push this conversation and dialogue all the time, Kayla, because I I will say this for me. As a Black woman, you know, as a CEO and a serial entrepreneur and an advocate and very outspoken, what I'm dealing with now is the old boys club. The old boys club is not just in the white community. We have it in the Black community. And I'm dealing with gender biases where people are trying to like shut out, you know, BWIE from having certain seats at certain tables because of what I'm bringing, you know, 
Um, who does she think she is? You know, black women are supposed to be humble. We're supposed to stay quiet. We're not supposed to, you know, be argumentative, but I ain't that girl. If I feel something's wrong being done to my women and I feel that they should be able to benefit from this funding coming down the stream, the pipeline, I'm going to call you out and I'm going to go on your information sessions, even if they're at nine o'clock at night, because that's what they're doing now. They're doing information sessions on funding at nine o'clock at night, literally. Kid you not, kid you not. Um, I will stay up and I will go on that and I will ask the questions that you don't want me to ask. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we need to do better, to say the least. We need to do better from the East Coast. Um, the partnerships and collaborations are not happening. And, you know, who are suffering is to, the, the Tashanas of the world. Those That's who's suffering. Because if we collaborate and build a strong network here in the East Coast, we can then move on, collaborate with someone in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And then from the West Coast, we can start thinking internationally. Mm-hmm. So when these students come through the pipeline and come here and they want to start a business, we already have an initiative or a pot of money set up for international students who want to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interest. Like there, this, this is a challenge that's so multi-layered as well with, um, you know, our country being the size and the sort of s- style that it even is. We had the exact same conversations in Whitehorse, uh, but with potentially even less nuance around the actual diversity of the community that is represented in, in the North. We're obviously in talking um, to a lot of various indigenous founders that feel that exact same complete disconnect from the rest of the country and yeah. the ability to get connected with somebody in BC or in Halifax or somewhere else across the country, there would be so much strength in that collaboration, finding funding and resources and programming, but mentorship of folks that are actually navigating the same experiences that they are in rural Saskatchewan or rural Nova Scotia. Like there is such a similar sentiment that can really anchor us. Uh, But it's hard to find these people, right? Like how, how do you even keep these conversations going without a Tia looking under every rock to find these folks across the country that need support? Um, this is where the, it requires so much energy and connectivity and goodwill, but that work also needs to be compensated appropriately and needs to be prioritized. And we need to see that anchor in what is actually working well, like a perfect example of the work that you're doing to you. Well, I wouldn't say it's working so well. Um, I have a lot of bumps in the road, but I will say I'm very proud of the, the contacts I've made. I made it my mission um, to even the rural communities in Nova Scotia. If you say my name, they know who I am. I did a community engagement tour on my own funding, uh, my own money to go to, we have 48 black communities in Nova Scotia. And I went to every one of them to visit and do a community engagement to find out what their needs were. Do they want to start businesses? What are they lacking? What do I have to do? What do you want the government to do? Like I did a survey. I have 287 surveys done, literally. Um, of what the needs are and barriers are Black women in business in Nova Scotia. And people want the surveys, but they don't want to give me credit for the surveys either. So it's like, it's like you said, you have to be compensated for this type of work. It is not easy. It's very tiring. And um, I find that people that have the money who are capable of, you know, compensating someone for this information or to do the work, they don't want to give up the dollars. I don't understand it. Hmm. I, yeah, it's the flow of money. Where is the, the, there is money. And and that I think is where I anchor in. Oh, there is. There's opportunity There's, there, but it needs to flow to the right places and to the right direction. Like when, when an organization gets a stand, when an organization gets a standalone amount of money of $2.5 million to run a black women initiative in the entre- for entrepreneurship, 
That is a lot of money. A lot of money. I have not, the most I've gotten in three years combined would it be a little over two hundred fifty-two thousand dollars. Three years combined, and I've done sixteen. Uh, I have done. I'm on my twelfth right now. So twelve sixteen-week cohorts in three years, and you know that's project funding, and it's only tw- it only gave me twenty thousand dollars per sixteen. And week. it's little bit by little bit by little bit as well. There's no continuity. There's no planning. That there's you're able none. To do. Yeah. There's nine Kayla. So there's lots of money out there. But it's almost like you have to know someone to get the money. And if yeah. you don't know them or if you rub them the wrong way as a woman, mm-hmm. you're just not going to get the money. And so if a founder is coming to you right now and saying, hey, you know, I'm a Tashana, you know, I'm starting a business. I've got proof of concept. I've got these actual incredible partners that I'm now anchoring with, with the Best Buys and the Microsofts and um, have demonstrated this great traction leveraging your TikTok. Um, where are you pointing them for funding? Where are you finding trusted sources um, or at least where can they get educated around the funding that is available to them? So basically I do the education part when it comes to what's available and funding. Cause I stay my ears to the ground every day. I actually did seven grant proposals myself Saturday and Sunday this weekend, seven over the weekend to, in order to bring money in. So I know what's out there. Um, when it comes to trust it, Right now, I have a partnership with iNova Credit Union. It's a small credit union in Halifax. And they have shown me that they are intentional of creating spaces for Black women to succeed with access, giving them, having them accessible to, to capital. So if you graduate through one of my 16-week startups and your business plan is solid, your financials are solid after I proofread it, um, I send an email introduction to the loans officer. He reviews it. And you're guaranteed um, $10,000, guaranteed $10,000. And if you need more, you have to really come to the table and prove to him why you need more. But you're guaranteed $10,000. And that's a small credit union. And the big banks have never done that. Even right now, TD has um, the Black Credit Experience Program. And I hate to say it, but it's bullshit. Literally. Um, the, the, The application on the website how many how many black individuals understand term loans versus overdraft like the lines of credit they don't know what you want them to click which one they're applying for but the education's not there the literacy education uh is not there with regards to financial so how are they going to know that the first page then you're asking them to to do you know your um oh my goodness uh basically your list of assets mm-hmm. oh what's it called there's a word for it that's an inventory inventory uh no it's like um if you have life insurance policies and all these things mm-hmm. like basically what you're worth sure a net worth statement mm-hmm. they have no idea how to do a net worth statement so what i've been doing with a lot of women is walking them through how to do one mm-hmm. um they don't educate individuals on if you have a life insurance policy whatever your payout would be today you can use as collateral against a, a loan they don't educate you on that so it's just, it's just messy right now. Um, so I just try my best to, you know, I don't just send them to anyone that's saying they got black money or segregated money because it's not a safe space. And I don't want to have them be torn down once again by them wanting all this information after 90 days of going back and forth on emails and information being exchanged and documents being scanned to saying, unfortunately, we can't support you. Mm-hmm. So I won't send them to everywhere. Where I send them to is, who I know right now who's really doing the work and 
I believe since 2020, late 2022, there's been officially to date, and my number may be off, either 13 or 15 women who've accessed um, capital from INOVA Credit Union. That's that's a huge number. It may, on a scale of all Canada, it may not seem big, but in Nova Scotia, uh, that number is not is unheard of as black, for Black women in business. And what are your thoughts on, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of Black-led venture funds or new initiatives um, that are intending to go straight into the Black community. Are you saying that make a difference in potentially more the high-growth tech kind of space, seeing that diversified? Or do you still think that this, I mean, I personally think the accountability needs to be spread across every type of person deploying capital. Uh, but are you seeing movement in that space, at least recognizing these businesses and then funding them from that lens? I see movement if you're in the tech space. Mm-hmm. If you're a, a, a grassroots business, a cultural sensitive business, something aligned with your culture, with coming out and braiding hair, weaving baskets, making shea butter, lotions, hair products from a cultural standpoint, you ain't getting it. If you are not in the tech field right now, that venture fund, it don't mean squat. Yeah. Um, because, you know, everybody knows where tech is now. If, if you're investing in tech, you're going to get your money back quick. Hmm. If you invest in a mom and pop shop, it's, and different. And it's different. And they're the, they're the heart of all the communities, these little yeah. these mom and pop shops. It's 98% of our business community in the country. Like we have way more of those types of companies than we do unicorns. Absolutely, Kayla. So I I love the capital, capital, uh, the the venture funds. I I love the the incentive and the mission behind it. But who is it really benefiting in the long run? Is it black businesses? Is it tech spaces? Who is it benefiting? So I like to I would like to get the measurables on that. Yeah, I think we all would. Um, and, and to the point of the also the intersection, even looking at that, how many of those funds are going to black women through yeah. those funds? Um, there's still a lot on, on that that front. Because um, it's, it's what, 2% of VC funding going to women? I think it's like 0.008% it was, going to black Yeah, women. so I was, a, I was a part of the forum, um, the AFIA, AFIA Index. So when that came out, I was a part of creating the curriculum for that. And I did a lot of research, reading a lot of research from WEC, from Beck, from all these uh, researches that came out. And our numbers are, was so disgustingly low. And it actually triggered me a little bit where I was really, really taking it personal because I'm like, how is this even happening in our entrepreneurship landscape right now? Why is the numbers not higher? Um, what is the problem? So yeah, the number is a point, point zero zero. Like it, it's it may not even exist. A percentage. Yeah, yeah, that's really what it symbolically says. I think it's it's barely even recognized as a percentage, and those are that that's pretty sad, sad and very staggering that that hasn't improved. It's alarming. It's yeah. alarming. Yeah. When when you look at um, conversations of women coming into either a conversation with a bank or. or trying to equip them with that education and that baseline. This is something I think every founder struggles with, both in their personal finances and then understanding the the space of business finance. To your point, Tia, around folks not even having a a bank account for their business or not being incorporated, not being able to access SIBO. We saw so much of that during the pandemic and this lack of like the business foundations and not necessarily... um, 
based on the lack of trust and all the variables that you've mentioned, but also just not knowing that was something necessarily that they had to do or, you know, that was what was going to be required if they were going to go after a specific type of funding. Um, so in the trainings and, and in this education piece, do you have recommendations for maybe some of our, our listeners as well? Where do you start in, in that journey? Are there also trusted folks like yourself um, or networks that provide this education from an informed lens and in a safe space where you can be comfortable asking these questions and also feel equipped to when you're entering into a conversation, you might know there's going to be some bias or there might be you know hurdles ahead. How do you prepare yourself within a system that is not actively supporting you right now um, as we try to make these changes long-term? I, I can't... For the East Coast, I can't even say who's really doing it from the standpoint I am. BWIE literally does it in a holistic way. When you come in for the 16-week Ignite program, you're coming in with your idea, and then we're going through a transition of you going from your idea, let's do some market research so you can recover to find out what your market niche is, your target market. Then you're going from there, you're doing a market analysis. Then we're going into your business plan, your financial projections for three years. And then you're going to come out the other side of the 16-week startup being more confident and and, um, being capital ready to at least approach somebody. I don't know a lot of organizations that are taking that time, Kayla, to do that. What they're doing is they'll do like, you know, an initiative for four weeks or six weeks or 10 weeks where they're doing little pockets. But I literally go from the beginning and the women who go through my cohort will tell you, if you don't have your business name reserved on your third week, you can't move forward with me for the fourth week. Cannot pass go. I'm not going to promote you not doing it the right way. Yeah. yeah. So there are steps up. You have to go through steps and steps. By the end, they have to have their business registered. Um, you have to make a decision if you're going to be incorporated or what you're going to do. Um, and if you're going to be incorporated, let's look at your budget, how you're going to incorporate this. Um, I, I try my best to ensure they have all the information they have, they need, because once you're done a 16 week startup, you are in business and you're by yourself and entrepreneurship's the only place. Um, I was just speaking to, to Sean and the rest of the women who's on my team, about, you know, changing my mentorship initiative that I have attached to the 16-week Ignite program, where I want to be a standalone program, where it's going to have a continuous intake. Because sometimes a Black woman just needs a mentor. She doesn't need to go through a 16-week startup. She just needs somebody because it's a lonely place. Um, And I mean, if I did my research a little bit, you know, even today, I could probably come back to you and say, here are a list of people that do, do, you know, from the beginning to the end. Um, but right now, top of my head, I, in the East coast, I'm the only one who starts from the beginning with people and, um, you know, takes in consideration that these black women are single moms. These black women are coming from trauma, traumatic environments. They're on the verge of homelessness. Um, they're, they're dealing with some domestic abuse. Um, I'm the only one. Mm. 
And that's important to recognize that these are not just business owners or entrepreneurs. Like these are humans, deeply complicated yeah. and, um, you know, nuanced people that are coming in from all of these different lived experiences and, and perspectives um, and holding space for that while you anchor the business fundamentals. Like that's how you build strength from the foundation as yeah. well, right? If we just say, you know, here's how to do a P&L <laughs> and then, you know, here are the accounting glossary terms, um, that's not going to land in the heads and hearts of folks that need that. And it won't. And, right. and something just pops into my head if we if you can add this in with regards to the the, the funding streams, um, even individuals that are ready with their their uh, credit reports or credits great, stop giving the money out without having some supports during that. If you're giving someone who comes from low income three hundred fifty thousand dollars to start their business and they've never had that type of money before. They're not educated on budgeting. Are they going to spend it on their business? How is the repayment system? They don't, they're not going to ask about interest rates. Where is the follow-up in that wraparound service of ensuring you're not putting that person further in a situation of debt? And then the narrative then that would perpetuate if the funding is not allocated to the right spots and, you know, ends up getting burned, you know, in all of these different spaces. There's plenty of areas to spend money on when you're running a business through no fault of your own, right? It's naturally very experimental as well. You're not necessarily going to know what's going to work perfectly. Then the cycle of the narrative that gets created there is, oh, we should not continue to allocate that funding, right? right? That's a dangerous potential opportunity on the other side. So right. Tashana, when you're, you know, finding partnerships and and looking at um, some of these great brands that you're working with as well, um, what's it been like to, you know, try to find funding or, or uh, you know, build these partnerships to try to anchor sales of a very new product and offering that you have? Um, what's been that process for you? Maybe on more on the sales and marketing side. So with my social media, it's 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 a lot different than uh, my business itself, where I sell the stationery. So. My partnerships with Best Buy and Microsoft was solely based on the fact that they have a product that they want me to promote on my social media platform. Um, But in terms of my business, uh, I do everything myself. So um, I create the reels on my by myself. Um, and that's how I been able to get reels is usually um, somebody sees content on social media and they want to support um, a small Black-owned business. Um, but yeah, working with Microsoft and Best Buy is definitely way, is different from that. They have nothing to do with the notepads that I create. It's just that they have a product or a service that they want me to promote to um, the students that follow me on TikTok. Um, but it's completely separate. Um, as you figure out these diversified business lines, right? You're, you're trying different types of models um, to, to build um, your kind of entrepreneurial journey in. What is exciting you the most? Do you like the brand development and those types of partnerships? Do you like the product side? Do you love having a little bit of both? What inspires you right now as an entrepreneur? Um, I love creating content on social media. I think I, I love doing it. And it is a faceless account. So not having the pressure of showing my face to 200,000 people, um, definitely it's, it's relaxing. Um, I love working with these brands as well. Um, I've also worked with like Sleep Country, which is really big for me. I'm just come just a Jamaican girl coming to Canada and working with these big companies, not even showing my face once awesome. on my platform. That really shows you how powerful my content is speaking for itself without me having mm-hmm. to be the face of that. So that 
Um, and then the DMs that I'll get from random people that follow me like, hey, I've been following your account since last year and you've really helped me to um, pass my course or to get an A in this course or to just be a well-rounded student. Those DMs that I get sometimes are definitely motivating. And I started this platform not knowing that you could have made an income from social media. So I started it off of passion. I started it because I really just wanted to show um, other students how they can do a 360 of their academic life. And I will always carry that through. So even if these brand partnerships um, fail for some reason or they just aren't happening for me anymore, I'll still continue to do social media because of the number one reason why I went into it, just because of passion and drive and wanting to help other students. And then in terms of my physical business now, um, College Creative Creations, um, I never knew that I would or could start a business and I'm still in my early stages. I still have lots of stuff to learn um, and there's so much things that's going to happen in my journey. But definitely looking back of where I was in, in my youth, my younger years, not that I'm, not that I'm older or anything, <laughs> not that I'm old or anything, but just like younger years, I'm talking like 16, 17, my teen, um, looking back from where I was there to where I am now, coming to Canada, just that leap of coming here alone, no having no family, no friends in Canada, and where I am now, it's definitely um, motivating. I have my mom, I have my sister, and I have a little puppy back home, and they are my motivating force. They are my driving force for um, what I do today. I love that. And in getting connected yeah. to Tia and the BWIE, what has that meant to you? Do you feel now that you have you know more access to tools, you understand this kind of entrepreneurial landscape or ecosystem? Um, like, what have you learned in now being more connected to this community? Yes. So even though I'm recently connected in with Tia, almost like maybe a month or less into it, I know how much um, benefit this can be for me and my business. And also just as a student, international student, um, I just know how much, how, how big the benefits are going to be. Um, in terms of my business, it's really hard to just um, find someone who is really passionate about helping Black women and Black women entrepreneur. And Tia offering all of these projects and resources, most of them are free of charge. These networking events that you can just walk into and meet countless and powerful, um, powerful women is definitely um, encouraging. And even as a student myself, learning from her is, is definitely something that um, I'm excited to do. Yeah, it's not bad having tea in your corner. That's definitely a great, great. Yeah, she's definitely she's definitely that gem in my corner. And um, Tia and my mom are kind of like the same thing, kind of kind of like the same. So talking to Tia, just not on business. Um, having I think 
she's definitely my mom figure in Canada. Um, you know, pushing me, motivating me to get my business um off the ground and saying to me, listen, girl, it's not that serious. You can do it. Stop <laughs> doubting yourself. Um, I remember one time we were at this event. Um, it was the first time I did my showcase when I showcased my business. And I was really fidgeting with something because I wanted to use the scissors to cut a paper off the edge of a um display. And with tea, I was like, let that go. That's not serious. Look at your 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 showcase. It's bigger than that. Nobody's gonna see a piece of paper hanging off this. Um, so she's really here to keep me grounded and to keep me in check with it, which I really, really love. It's great having people around us that tell us, you know, hold on a little less tight to that one part of the business or this yeah. idea or, you know, liberate yourself a little bit because some of these things really don't matter. Well, Kayla, her table looked great. And I just kept walking her to corner my eye and I'm like, what is Deshaun over there doing? So I go over and say, hey girl, how's it going? You excited for today? It was her first day showcasing, right? And she just kept fidgeting with this piece of paper on his board. And I was like, girl, it's not, no one's going to look at that. Everything looks great. Your table, her display was wonderful. What they're coming for is your product. And her product looked great on the table. So I told her, let it go. There we go. That's amazing. So quickly on the BWIE side as well, you know, your mission, we've gone through and, and heard, um, obviously, the impact that you're making in the community. Um, can you give us Cole's notes, quick summary of the actual programs you're currently offering in 2024. What year is it going to be? Um, and uh, if folks want to do, want to get engaged either across the country or directly in the Atlantic ecosystem, uh, what can they expect when they connect uh, with UT? I would love a bit of a plug here. Um, because we have some exciting new things. Uh, first and foremost, we have our 16-week Ignite program um, that is held on Zoom. Um, every Tuesday evening, and we will be swapping that from two hours to three and a half hours. Two hours is not enough time a week to really do the work I need to do with these women um, because there's so many layers to, you know, breaking bad habits, breaking, you know, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, all that stuff. Um, and especially where I bring in, I bring in about 17 guest speakers in 16 weeks. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, so we will be doing that, but we'll be changing the, the, the length of it. Um, we do have a new youth initiative that's going to be dropping. Um, so we'll be doing a 10 weeker for, you know, black female youth from the ages of 15 to, uh, the 21, I believe it is something like that. So whiz for youth, um, because they are going to be our future leaders. So all the programs are free. All the education is free. The only time that individuals have to pay for stuff is when we're doing a pop-up event because we have to pay for tables. And of course we don't have core funding, so they have to uh, put a $40, it's $40 to be a vendor. You make that back on one sale, you're good. Um, and, you know, we're, we're looking to do the mentorship a different way where it's recurring and, and constant, you know, intake. So there's a lot if people really are looking for, you know, their tribe of other, you know, Black women being from the African diaspora, Caribbean or African Canadian um, we are your tribe and we're, we're here to bring you in, to support you, empower you and educate you, um, to be able to be, you know, a sustainable, successful business. So, you know, come out, come contact me. Let's have a conversation. Yes. And there's also the 28 day series. 
That happens in February, where we'll be celebrating Black women. And we'll be having um, one Black woman that will be able to have the opportunity to showcase their business, talk about their business and their business adventures um, with Tia alongside them every day for the 28 days of February. But I think this next February is going to be a leap year. So there's one extra day <laughs> in the month. And yeah. that's a social media kind of campaign or on, on? Yeah, so it is a social media campaign um, in our website, but we're actually professionally video recording roundtables. So we're going to have Black, they call the Black Table. Um, and basically there's going to be questions in fish bowls. So if you live in Nova Scotia, you can attend in person. And I pull a question out and we talk about the certain barriers that Black women have. Um, if you go to our YouTube page, you can see the one from last year. Um, and this year we did a little differently with having each black woman, um, 28 of them have one minute to have a professional video taken by our videographer where they can keep for their own marketing. That sounds awesome. And so some of the women, um, that may potentially be in this campaign or folks that you've been working with, um, historically, do you want to provide any shout outs to some incredible black women that are, uh, building really interesting businesses or that have a special place in your heart to, from working them with them? In the oh last my goodness. Is that well, even fair? Black women in three years. Um, but I will say there are certain ones I really watch them, you know, sacrifice a lot and really, give everything they have. So I'll say Fantanish, uh, Deidre, Missy Searle, Bernadette Hamilton-Reed. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, my daughter, she's 24. Um, Kia and her partner, Trine. Um, you know, the list. Oh goodness, there's so many. What kind many of businesses are they creating? What are the businesses? Oh, well, my daughter's business, she does luxury chocolate bombs. So she does chocolate bombs. Um, some are vegan, some are gluten-free and some are original. Um, Deidre and her partner, Satina, they are black doulas, um, in Nova Scotia and they have a doula business, um, for new mothers and Bernadette Hamilton Reed. She's an advocate in the black community, a mentor, a friend, and she's, um, uh, she has a bookkeeping company. So she works with black women who are new in business to get their books in line for affordable pricing. Uh, Missy Searle is a consultant that I use on the regular for BWIE. Um, and she has a business, uh, for virtual consulting. Um, who else did I say? Van Tanish. Um, she is a mother first and foremost. She, she dedicates all of her time to her kids and she has twin babies. Um, but she has an organization, um, blue wellness, and she has a business also, um, similar to what she does through organization. Um, and she just curates everything with regards to, you know, holistic living, um, uh, Afrocentric base, almost back to like, you know, you know, our African, uh, base and heritage. So these, there's a lot of us out here are doing the work. Um, and you know, I'm excited this year because I have, you know, these new staff, um, Keisha is, is from the African diaspora. We have Shanika and Tashana who are Jamaican and I love Jamaicans because my fiance is Jamaican. So I was really happy and I didn't go looking for certain people. Um, when I heard about funding that was coming down from uh, St. Mary's University as a wage subsidy, I was like, hmm, okay, let me apply for it and let me see who I get. And it just worked out that I was able to get two women that I've been watching for a minute. And Tashana was one of them that I've been watching and following and talking to her. 
And I was like, wouldn't it be nice to have her work for me? But I didn't think she would, you know, have the opportunity because she was working, you know, at the Entrepreneurship Center. Shanika is a little version of me. She's very outgoing. And she came right up to me and said, how, do, how can I apply? Like, how can I work for you? So she came right up to me. Um, and Keisha, she was a little bit shy and she's still, she's very much introverted. Um, but I think I'm breaking her shell. So she's my executive assistant. And um, when you're Tia Upshaw's executive assistant, you can't be shy. So she's she's coming out. And I just can't wait to see what 2024 brings all of us as Black women in business, um, especially for me and my team. Because I not only do I want them to get paid living wages, I want them to, you know, feel empowered, you know, at the end of every week, feel like they're doing something great in the community and be able to take something from me that they can carry and give to somebody else and pass it forward. I love that. Tashana, do you have any shout outs you want to provide or any, any final words to our audience that you want to share? Um, shout outs, probably, I don't know. I'm putting on the spot. <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to shout out my mom. But just because she's definitely my driving force, like there are days when I just want to give up and come back home. Oh, I could I could sit and tell you about those days, but I won't. Um, but she's definitely somebody else shout out as well. Um, yeah, I mean she's on the call, but no, I'm not just. It's not just because it's a fan club for Tia or anything like that. But I I don't think Tia understands how, um, the opportunity just to work for her. And just to see um, where her business is going is definitely, um, it's, it's definitely very, it's motivating. And I'm excited to see what 2024 has for me, for my business and for content creation as well. So, yeah. And I'll just shout out all the Black women out there that have their businesses. You're doing the thing. Keep going and do you. Don't give up. Absolutely. Any final message, Tia, you want to share to the audience or we're, we can end on a fabulous note for 2024? Well, what I was saying is what I always say to individuals, um, that it's a beautiful day to be a Black woman. Mm, I love that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Tia. Thank you so much, Tashana, for joining welcome. us on the Startup Women podcast. Thank you, Kayla. Um, and whatever we can do to continue to support, uh, you know, BWIE and and yeah, breaking some of these massive challenges will take time, but it's really encouraging to see the unbelievable work that you're both doing. And um, yeah, it's it's really important and worthy of both celebrating and just recognizing the concrete importance of it all. So thank you both for everything that you do. Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.